Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we have our second interview with Timothy Chow, or Timothy Cho, sorry. <laughs> Ed, how's it going? Going great, Ron. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me Tim's too. A you know, to talk to. He is. He's uh, His prior appearance on TSOE was episode number 113 in October 2016. So, Tim, a few things have happened wow. since then, but <laughs> you've been a leader in bringing enterprises to the cloud since 1999. And when he returned to Oracle to work for Larry Ellison as the president of Oracle On Demand. Since leaving Oracle, he returned to Stanford University and launched the first course on cloud computing. He writes a column for CFO Magazine and is about to publish a three-volume book on cloud computing for producers and consumers of cloud services. Tim, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's an God, honor to talk to you. Yeah, 20, can you believe it? We were talking about IoT, Tim back then yeah. a lot. And uh, it, it was a fascinating discussion. I re-listened to it this morning. And yeah. I, I'm dying to talk to you about your current work on AI applications in healthcare for kids. But but first, I have to ask, Tim, do you share Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, and maybe a thousand others concern about chat GPT? Should we put the brakes on this for six months? Uh, no. I, I don't even know how you put the brakes on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> does that mean? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, uh, as we all know, I mean, adoption of technology carries with it the good and the bad. I mean, we all know, pick up your cell phone and we can see the good and the bad. So I don't know that chat GPT is anything different than that. I think it does herald what I think from a, when you look at the fundamental thing that's happened, I, I don't know if you guys ever seen this, but Jeff Dean, who heads up Google Brain, has this beautiful chart. And basically what it says is, if you apply more data and more compute with neural networks, you can get nearly linear improvement in accuracy. And that's a fundamentally different idea than I think we've ever had about software, right? Software was always, let's go automate a workflow that you know we can either imagine the future or is somewhat similar to the past. This is, you know, can I have a lot of text data, obviously, in ChatGPT's case, or obviously stuff we're working on is a lot of image data, but the more, the more, the more, which I always point out, you know, if you walk around here in Northern California, you still see Waymo cars driving around, taking LIDAR images and whatnot. Why? Because it's the only way you're ever going to get to increasingly autonomous uh, operation is more and more data with more and more compute will get more and more accuracy. And so I think it just heralds the future. ChatGPT is symptomatic of that as a, a very visible application, obviously. But what I just said doesn't 
mean just chat GPT, right? Sure, sure. I the, the only time I'll get political with you today, Tim, I promise, but I'm just curious. Sam Altman says that the, these AI tools are going to require a universal basic income. And I'm just wondering what you think about that. Oh, that is good and political. It, 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 it's a question I, I at least have thought about myself, which is, you know, what, what does the future look like for, for all of us? If increasingly, I mean, if you look at ChatGPT, I was just having a conversation this morning, <laughs> the job it may really displace is software engineer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems to be pretty good at coding. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, which is a weird thought to have, right? So in a world where we can increasingly use technology, whether that's to increase productivity of farms or to diagnose diseases or whatever, you know, what does it mean to the world of work going forward? I, I like to say to people, we either have a Terminator future in front of us, or we have a Star Trek future in front of us. Mm. Now, if you, which I would like to be optimistic, would like to see it as a Star Trek future, then it begs the question, what is everybody going to do, right? Because Star Trek says we get to go hang out in holodecks and go explore strange new worlds. We're not sitting around, you know, uh, whatever, uh, making sure General Ledger's foot or <laughs> or auditing financials or whatever, right? And so what does that mean uh, to work? To You asked the question about guaranteed income, et cetera. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really, if you will, from my point of view, I think that's way better conversation to have than some of the political conversations we have today, which seem kind of inane, hmm. is let, let's go debate that. What does that mean? And... Because that's what it looks to me. That's where we're headed is, you know, either be <laughs> some people know this. I, uh, I raised three daughters mm -hmm. and I told them when they were growing up, I said, uh, I don't really care what you major in in college because obviously you're going to college. Right. So I don't care what you major in as long as it's science, math or engineering. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really wide range of things that you could major in. True. Right. Yeah. Uh, but maybe the future is, I don't care what you major in as long as it's plumbing, uh, cooking <laughs> or, right. or home repair. I mean, is that where we're headed? I, I mean, I think these are very interesting questions, uh, at least for our children and maybe our children's children that we should be asking. Just out of curiosity, did your daughters go into the STEM area or? Uh, well, I was purely selfish here, right? Because... I wanted them to live in the Bay Area because we live in the Bay Area. Right. So I went, okay, uh, art history degree. Uh, that That's hard to live in the Bay Area on art history. But if you're computer science, uh, you know, uh, biology, et cetera. So yes, I have all three of them here. They're all working Beautiful. in tech in various different aspects. And so I got my wish. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Tim, you wrote a paper, a case for distributed edge cloud to train and deploy AI applications for kids. And admittedly, you sent, you sent us a draft that's titled a very rough draft, but I found this fascinating. Um, the premise is you're providing healthcare equity for kids in rural areas of the G8 countries, as well as the entire developing world. 
And you claim it cannot be done by building more medical schools or hospitals, but instead we have to leverage AI. To me, this is what's exciting about AI. Oh, amen. Um, maybe I'll, I'll tell you the origin story of how this happened. Please, yeah. Because uh, I always start out when I'm talking to my friends in the clinical area, I go, just to be clear, I know nothing about medicine, right? I used to say I knew the difference between a left and right ventricle because I knew the difference between left and right. And then a pediatric cardiologist corrected me and said, that's just because you talk to adult cardiologists. There is a condition in kids where it can be reversed. <laughs> so it's wow. like, okay, I, I have demonstrated I know zero, right? So how did this happen? So uh, as you introduced, uh, when I left Oracle, I went back and started the first class on cloud computing at at Stanford University. Um, I had taught there previously, like real stuff, like computer architecture. So when I was hanging around the department, they said, come back and teach. And I was like, yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> they said, teach a seminar class. I went, okay, I've been a manager a lot of years, right? Put great people with great opportunity, put them together. I don't have to do any work, right? So, which is the secret of great management, right? Absolutely. So, um, so anyway, I, I said, okay, fine. So my class is actually, uh, I do the first and last lecture, which you can guess is pretty much the same. And in between, I've guest lectures. And my cutoff criteria is CEO of public company. Hmm. And so we now have had 120 unique CEOs. Wow. Early on, uh, I started out with people I knew, like Mark at Salesforce or Subarar at WebEx. But over the years, I realized nobody was offended to be asked to give a guest lecture at Stanford. So some of the kids uh, will call it the class of people that Tim wants to listen to. Sure, sure. So, you know, we've had, we actually had Eric Rand from Zoom in 2019 before uh, Zoom became a noun, a verb, and an adverb, right? Uh, and then just like we actually did not have class for two years. And ended up that last year restarting, we had the CEO of VMware and uh, um, Johnson and Johnson, Illumina, et cetera. So I only tell this whole story because six years ago, a guy arrives in class named Anthony Chang, who turns out has an MD, an MPH, an MBA, and he's chief of pediatric cardiology at the Children's Hospital of Orange County. Wow. And I'm going, you know, he, he says, let's go meet for breakfast. So I meet him. I'm going, I don't know anything about what you know about. Why, why are we talking? He says, well, he said he had watched Jeopardy. And he said, I really think it's time for AI, big data, and cloud computing to meet medicine. So like any normal human being, he decides to enroll in the bioinformatics program at Stanford, which is one of the top programs in the country. Uh, Anthony, at this point in time, is in his mid-50s. It takes him three and a half years to finish a two-year program because, number one, he has no idea how to code. Number two, he has a real job. He's chief of pediatric cardiology. And number three, in his mid-50s, he decides to adopt an 18-month-old and a six-month-old, and he's a bachelor. Wow. So I always love telling Anthony's story because I say it's wow. never too late for, for any of us if, if he could do that. And so Anthony is kind of my portal 
into their world. He's a major league networker. And really because of that, I started to understand everything from they're still using CD-ROMs or the more advanced USB stick to pass image data around, right? That's one end. And, and let me tell you, this is, this is today. This is not like even yesterday, today. And then at the other end, back to the comment I made about AI, we all know that to build a cardiology diagnostic, neurology, whatever, X-ray diagnostic, you need access to a lot of data and a lot of diverse data, right? So the common problem really, I brought a team together. We didn't really want to watch Netflix during COVID. <laughs> so we said, hey, you know, let's come together with a mission. And we call it the pediatric moonshot, which is to create privacy-preserving, real-time pediatric applications based on access to data in all 1 million healthcare machines in all 500 children's hospitals in the world and fundamentally transform healthcare for kids who are not geographically lucky, which I can tell you as an example, there are no emergency uh, pediatric physicians in the state of Montana, zero. I mean, you don't have to go very far, right? So geographically unlucky and obviously socially unlucky because we can do a lot of stuff with software as you guys well know. Wow, uh, you know, just one more thing on Dr. Chang. There's only 3,000 pediatric cardiologists in the whole country, which you cite in your paper, which I found amazing. So yeah, yeah. having AI get in on this is just really exciting. Well, Tim, this is fascinating. I know Ed's got plenty more questions for you. Unfortunately, we're up against our first break. Folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can subscribe to us and get our bonus episodes as well as other content. That's at patreon.com slash TSOE. And that channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. More Minds meld at 90 Minds. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise with Dr. Timothy Cho. Uh, Tim, I'm going to pick up on, on something Ram was talking to you about. There's a, there's a million of these healthcare machines in 500 hospitals. By my math, that's what, 2,000 per? <laughs> just, yeah. Just, just about it. And I didn't, I didn't major in STEM, but um, <laughs> um, so, so just hook them all up, you know, get, get our, some, some co-op cable and, and pop them all in and, and there you're done. What's the problem? <laughs> I know it's more complicated. That's why, that's why I'm leaving you there. Cause it's, it, it is amazing that that is a problem because you would think that that, why, why, why can't they be networked like that? Right. Yeah, well, Ed, Ed, since we're all old people here, you know, here's my observation. Uh, you know, once upon a time, it, we had NetWare and Unix and DOS. And, you know, if you lived in the DOS world, it was cool or the NetWare world. Just try to transfer a file from NetWare to Unix. You might as well retyped it. It's kind of the same problem there. They've created little silos, and the silos are little. The EKG machines in a silo, you say, is it connected? Yeah, it's connected. The ultrasound machine, oh, the Philips ultrasound machines, yeah, they're, they're connected with other Philips ultrasound machines, right? And so these little islands, which we all saw in our world, right, exist in their world. And, you know, we... Obviously, we changed all that because we created an internet, right? We built TCP IP, we did FTP, we did all this stuff and, and brought those barriers down. And in principle, that is exactly what we're doing at Bevel Cloud, what the core, I mean, Ron kind of started it. We, we looked at this problem. We said, well, here's our mission. Let's go create these applications, right? Based on access. And when I say a million healthcare, I'm saying, ultrasound, CT, MRI, blood analyzers, gene sequencers, drug infusion pumps, ventilators, right? All of that. Okay, how are we going to do that? And to use the analogy, we said, well, you know, in order to get to the real moon, we needed a new rocket. We needed to build a new rocket. And so the new rocket we built was, because if you think about it, the only way you can get to the data in the ultrasound is you have to be on the network with the ultrasound. It's the only answer to the question, right? So therefore, we ended up building a highly decentralized, in the building, edge cloud service, meaning the compute. So all of you, I'm sure people listen to this. When I start out my class and describe AWS, I say, well, what has Amazon done? Well, they bought a bunch of computers, they manage the performance, availability, and security of those computers. And they offer it an OpEx model. And they put those computers in about 10 data centers in the world. And, and that abstraction applies to GCP, right? To Azure, et cetera. So what are we? We meaning Bevel Cloud. What are we doing? Getting a bunch of computers, managing them, right? Delivering an OpEx model. The only big difference is we figure out how to put it in 
10,000 buildings in the world, or in the story we're talking about in pediatrics, in all 500 children's hospitals in the world. Now, it requires, for those on the, of the technical bent, there are some challenges we have that AWS does not have, right? So AWS owns the entire friggin' building. They own the network in the building, right? They, they have all that. Well, we, we have to coexist. And by the way, the fine art of coexisting in a secure and managed way is one of the innovations that we've had to make in order to pull this off. Because I said, the only way you can get the data from the EKG, the MRI, is you have to be on the network there. But once you do that, then what we've architected is the ability to have compute and storage in a way very similar to EC2 and S3, to speak that way, uh, where we can build what we call digital twins. Digital twins used in a lot of different ways. We mean you twin the machine. So I'm just going to use ultrasound as an example. So we twin the Philips ultrasound, whether it's a very large one, like an Epic 7, all the way down to handheld ones, with a piece of software that runs on the edge that in essence replicates everything about it. So whether that's the serial number of the machine, what was the last error log, where's it located, as well as what we generically call the gnomic data, meaning the actual echocardiogram, the actual ultrasound. That's presented into something called edge data services, which is in essence just a series of APIs to standardize the data to applications. So in this way, the analogy, which I don't need to do for you guys, <laughs> but when I'm talking to the clinical community, I go, guys, what we're doing is an, a moral equivalent to what Apple's done. So Apple creates an infrastructure, operating system, development environment, and then says, all you consumer people, go build me the next Instagram or Netflix, whatever app you can think about, right? Same model, right? We're saying, look, we're going to free up the data. And now applications in cardiology or orthopedics or neonatology can now be built with access to this kind of data. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and, and I was obviously being facetious when I gave you the, the question, because yeah. I know there's lots of things that are complicated there with regard to, you know, you, you have to also now take patient uh, uh, security into and, and, and anonymity into considerations as well. You know, so this is, the, we, we like to think that we have these problems in the accounting world. We ain't got nothing on HIPAA. Oh, uh, amen. <laughs> uh, we were very fortunate. One of my former students uh, has ended up having 14 years of privacy law experience, and she's part of the core team. So we, from day one, we knew security and privacy. So we have engineered everything around security and privacy from the ground up. This has not been at all this at the end of the day. So yes, the requirement, which is why I, I make the argument, which Ron brought up, this is why I go, you know, the, the current method, which JetGPT uses too, of how you build AI applications is you aggregate a whole bunch of data centrally. You split it into test data and training data, and you go learn on the training data set, and then you come back and test it, learn, test, et cetera. That's ImageNet, chat. That's kind of the way we do things today, right? So I go, well, could this be applied to the world of healthcare? And I go, not really, 
because let's just do a little mental experiment. We actually know that uh, all 500 children's hospitals have what is called an echo lab. It's where they do the echocardiograms on the heart for kids. Uh, so our back of the envelope analysis is those echo labs generate 6 million terabytes of data per year, 6 million per year. So if you're thinking about AI, you go, God, man, that's cool because I can build tremendously accurate, non-biased algorithms because I have access to a crap load of data. That's a scientific term, crap load of data, <laughs> right? Okay. All right, let, let's go there. Uh, where are we going to put this? Okay, uh, I've heard there's a data center in Ireland. Let's go put it in Ireland, right? Okay, first question. Who's going to pay for the data transport from Kenya, right, California, Japan to Ireland? Okay, first question. Second, if you want it back out, who's going to pay for that, right? Okay, would you like to build real-time applications? Really? Go all the way to Ireland to get an answer and come back? And then, okay, what about privacy? One of the fundamentals of privacy is purpose limitation. When you sit there and go, I'm going to aggregate all the data, what are you going to do with it, man? I, I don't know. We're going to do good stuff. That's not purpose limitation. And then at the end of the day, and you're probably aware of this, increasingly across the planet, data residency, data sovereignty rules. Norway has already said, you know, no Norwegian data is leaving Norway. So, okay, so that, that's about how far you could get by saying, I'm gonna go to a centralized database sitting in Ireland, because you're gonna be blocked every step of the way. So don't go there, don't go there. And, and that's why we said, let's go, we, we've done, again, we're all old people here. We've done this before, it's called client server computing, right? <laughs> you know, that it's not all about running it in the mainframe. Mm -hmm. We finally realized, oh, you could run some of the software server side. You can run some soft software client side. So let's move the other direction, which is let's decentralize this thing. Let's let the servers sit in Norway that are looking at Norwegian data. And, and maybe when we come back, if you guys are interested, I could tell you about what federated learning is all about. But let's use a technique which was developed over on the consumer side to both preserve privacy and have increasing accuracy while the data actually never leaves Norway. And I think that, to me, looking forward, is the only answer we're going to end up with if we're really going to crack through building AI and healthcare, uh, you know, whether it's pediatrics or adult medicine. Wow, that sounds great. Well, you know what? I'm going to leave it there and let Ron pick it up because it's a, a fascinating story about what the, the what federated learning is based on your paper. And I know Ron will ask you some questions about that, but we are up against our break. want to remind those of you listening that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have our Patreon channel now, patreon.com slash tsoe where you can listen to the show commercial free as well as get our bonus episodes, which we record after every show that we do. Uh, Mark Gandy is a sponsor over there at Patreon and he gets a shout out at his level. Mark Gandy is at CFO Bookshelf Podcast. You can reach him at cfobookshelf.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. 
Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with our second interview with Timothy Cho. And, and Tim, I know we talked about this at the break, but I just want to get this on the record for the regular listeners. Um, the USA only has 3,000 pediatric cardiologists, and you say they're mostly in NFL cities. You, you do mean the yep. National Football League, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but India has only 300 of these. And, and then, of course, you talked about in Africa, the number one kill, cause of death is pneumonia. And in 2050, it's interesting to learn that Africa will have 1 billion children and and they die not because of no treatment, but because of no diagnosis and diagnosis is just kind of recognizing patterns and AI is fantastic at that. So this is, this could be world changing, as you say, not only for the developed world, but for the developing world as well. Well, amen. I mean, you know, it is Africa is just, when you look at it, I mean, most of us don't pay a whole lot of attention, but the number of kids and the increase in population there is going to be major over the next several decades. And so we can't, you know, we can't do it the way we did it. You can't go build enough medical schools and enough hospitals. Right. And so I think it's, there's, if you think about it, it's almost like there's an opportunity to leapfrog as they did with landline. I mean, nobody right. built a landline there, right? So there's an opportunity to leapfrog in many of these places in the world, uh, you know, how healthcare is delivered. And, you know, just to make a point of it, because we're actually working this space, if we can diagnose and detect things much earlier, the, the cost and all the implications of that are just dramatically better. And, but that's not where any of us spend any time and money. We, we spend the time and money after you're all, you know, sick and whatnot. 
We can change right. the economics of this entire thing as well. And why not start with kids? I mean, they're right. the seed corn of all of our futures, Africa or here or everything, right? Exactly. When I asked you during the break about why more people didn't go into pediatric cardiology, <laughs> you said, well, it's a money thing. The, the money's in the adult cardiologists, not the kids. And wow. So this is kind of a market failure in some respects. And, you know, I just read the book Diagnosis by Lisa Sanders, mm. and she was the inspiration for the TV show House. Mm. She does all the difficult diagnoses that no other doctor can figure out. And what she said was fascinating to me. First, doctors use this uh, website called uh, glasshospital.com where they put out a difficult diagnosis. And she says 80, 90% of the time, the reason that it's solved is because somebody recognizes a pattern. They've seen those symptoms before. They've seen the same type of thing before. And I, I just, as I was reading your paper, I was saying, oh my God, AI is perfect for this. Like you say, it can get that diagnosis done a heck of a lot quicker. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a quick story just to make us a little bit more relevant. There's a condition called focal cortical dysplasia. Uh, it's actually a brain lesion. Uh, if the kid has it, they have seizures. So there's a kid in Florida right now. He's 12 years old. Uh, for his entire life, basically, he's had two to three seizures a day slash night. When he has a seizure at night, he wakes up screaming. Now, imagine as a parent or as his sibling. I mean, this is your life, right? The whole time. Okay. They MRI scanned him very early. They didn't see anything. So they started progressively drug after drug after drug. Some of these are so expensive, his insurance company did not cover them. They were starting to evolve away from drug to actually implanting some electrical stimulator thing. Okay, they finally MRI scanned him again. I don't know why. And they looked and they went, you know, this could be FCD. Now, just to make a point of it, FCD has happens about 2,500 kids in the United States per year. So not very frequent back to this pattern recognition thing. So if I'm a neuroradiologist in you know Sacramento, I've probably never ever seen this. Now, if you back into that and go, wait a minute, if I had every MRI scan of every kid across the planet, it ain't gonna be too hard to build an FCD diagnostic and in fact, Amazingly enough, there's a husband-wife team at UCL in London that has, by hook and crook, built a version one of this type of application. Now, listen to this. If I can find it and locate it, I can go in and remove it. And the kid's cured for life. Wow. <laughs> wow. Why don't we do that? This is not that hard. We, we could do this. This is so inspiring. I was listening to talk to Ed and I'm just watching, listening to this and thinking, thank God there's brains like Tim's working on these issues rather than on TikTok or the next social app. You know, <laughs> this is where we need to be putting the brain power. So I applaud you for that. This is amazing. Um, you know, you wrote that centralized architectures will not work for AI and medicine. And then you introduce this concept of federated learning. And Tim, I've read a little bit about this in The Economist. They did a whole mm. spread on this, I think. Um, explain federated learning, because this was really interesting from your paper. Yeah, so um, 
I, obviously how I outline this is that privacy is a big, you know, question of how am I going to learn while preserving privacy has been a question in healthcare, right? But meantime, over on consumer side, it's also a question. Mm. So back, you know, maybe now it's four years ago, um, the Siri team and actually a Google team started working on this idea of federated learning. So what does that mean? And I'm going to use Siri in, as the application, which Siri was, does today do federated learning. So let's look at the old centralized mechanism. Well, what would that have meant, right? Oh, well, I would take Ed's voice, uh, Ron's voice, Tim's voice, and we would ship it up to the, quote, centralized Apple cloud, you know, done the whole thing, split it into, you know, learned on it, then created a new neural network and sent it back down, right? Okay, what's the problem with that? Number one, privacy. What the hell did Ed mm. say to it? It's sitting up there at the Apple Cloud or Ron or Tim, right? Yeah. Number two, what about network bandwidth? Who's paying for moving all that data up to the Apple Cloud? Not my Verizon account, right? <laughs> so they developed the technique for, because if you look at your phone, it's a fairly powerful computer sitting in there. They, they actually have GPUs on it. You may never have thought about that, but they do. So you can now learn, train, on the phone itself. And so you do that. You listen to what Ed said, what Tim said, what Ron said. You change, you, you will change the neural network weights for those people who speak neural network. And you will transmit those weights to the aggregation server. Now, those weights on the neural net are just a bunch of floating point numbers. So number one, privacy. I, I can't tell anything about the voice and number two, vastly different network footprint. So that's actually how Siri works. Google Keyboard works the same way to improve, you know, the ability to accurately determine what you're trying to type in as you type into Google Keyboard. So there are multiple applications of this. In fact, I have been talking to some people who are things like uh, Instacart when it's trying to make recommendations. Right now, it's doing all of that horsepower up at AWS. So why not move a lot of that, which could be much more personalized? Do you think about it? It's your app, your phone down, right? And use, literally use the compute horsepower on your phone, which is huge. So this whole, we've actually run experiments. We know this approach could apply to imaging as well. Now, imaging obviously has some certain problems which are more difficult, meaning they're way bigger in, in the amount of data that they present. But because of what the work we've done at Bevel Cloud, our infrastructure environment is completely different than what the Apple guys have to deal with. So the Apple guys have to be sure that they don't suck down too much power on your phone, right? Because you'd be pretty pissed about that. They have to make sure that you're on a robust network because they don't want you to pay a bill to Verizon, <laughs> right? They have to deal with a very heterogeneous environment because there's, you know, iPhone 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, Android 4, 5, 6, right? And in our world, no. The, the servers are powered. They're on high-quality networks. They're extremely homogeneous, right? So we're very optimistic. We're actually working on building a federated learning lab for children's medicine as we speak, which will have 100 servers uh, twin to 100 ultrasounds 
in six uh, locations on two continents. Wow. And for the first time, really, because anybody who's an AI knows you, you can't do this by imagining it. You have to work with real data. And so we will, for the first time, be working with real data. There are many different stack implementations out there, you know, from the guys at Intel or startups or whatever, uh, what, which ones work the best. There are a bunch of different learning strategies that people have been thinking about, split learning, uh, aggregation at a zone level. Let, that's why we call it a laboratory. Let's go figure this out because if we figure this out, I mean, everything, neurology, cardiology, orthopedics, right? We can solve those problems by both providing large amounts of diverse data while preserving privacy on a global basis. And, and saving the cost too. Of, Amen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that is phenomenal. I, you know, it didn't dawn on me until you said this, but you've got these 500 children hospitals and you know, you look at a company that has the cloud computing like AWS, and I know they have incredible security at their physical locations. How do you deal with that over 500 hospitals? <laughs> uh, if I told you, Ron, I'd have to kill have me. to kill me. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> no, but Ron, you 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 very very astutely pointed out. Yes, we have a different kind of security management problem. So, which they can solve with, you know, uh, um, uh, guards, guard dogs and, and big gates. I mean, I used to run a business like that. So, yes. And we have to solve it in a much more nuanced way in which we can also, without physical protection, which is what a data center provides, provide, you know, data protection without physical protection. So obviously encryption fits into this category of technologies that one will use to go do this, right? And so, yes, we have had to create the innovation so that I don't have to depend on, you know, guard dogs to protect my data center. Right, right. Well, Tim, this is great. Ed, Ed's going to take you the rest of the way home, but thank you so much. I, I am so inspired by by what you're doing here with Bevel Cloud. And I know Ed will probably ask you some questions about Bevel Cloud because it sounds like a fascinating oh, yeah. company. So, uh, but thank you so much for coming back on. And uh, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now a word from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise with Dr. Timothy Timothy Cho today. Um, Tim, you started to talk a little bit about this with Ron, but where are you now? Where where is Bevel Cloud now? Uh, and then I'm going to obviously ask you about the future. But wh- where do you sit right now? What's what's going on right now? Yeah. In, in the in the organization. Yeah. No. Thank you. Um, so, you know, being engineers, <laughs> we were like, uh, let's not live in PowerPoint too long. <laughs> so it, we started implementing right away. So uh, we actually have deployed what we refer to as edge zones in uh, eight locations on three continents uh, already. We're actually getting ready to do Gertrude's Children's, which is in Kenya, which will make it a fourth continent. We're, we're pretty, from an infrastructure perspective, I, 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 we all know there's other stuff we could work on, but we've gotten pretty good at this. We, we set ourselves you could imagine why a uh, an objective, which is that an edge server install would be no different than a Nest thermostat in complexity. <laughs> so, because nobody was getting on a plane for Bambino Jesu has been a great partner for us. Uh, they're the Children's Hospital in actually in the Vatican. So, while all of us would have loved a trip to Rome, nobody was getting on a plane during COVID. So we knew we we knew we wanted to do this for scalability as well. I mean, everything's been engineered at a million plus servers. So you know, we wanted to make it so that a install, and we just did this in Delaware a couple months ago. We did it in fifteen minutes. Yeah, because it won't work if you know I got to have you know IT sysadmin blah blah blah. Uh, never going to work, right? So we need to make it that simple. And you so we need the hospital yeah. calling the geek squad to be able to do this, yeah, right? Yeah, no, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, the, just to, yeah. The, no, we don't want that. We want to make it easy. We want to make it non-impactful for them because, you know, not another thing on their list. So from an infrastructure perspective, we're feeling we're feeling pretty good. There's a lot of future work we're doing and, you know, how um, a 5G network could be used to serve as a backbone with any, any one of these sites. Um, obviously, we're doing a lot of work in federated learning and how to optimize a stack for those sorts of applications. So all of that is going on in the background. Uh, we really have kind of uh, t- 
turned our attention not to the infrastructure because it's cool. I mean, if I've got a bunch of, you know, people like us, we, we can geek out and talk about this, but like who the hell cares, right? So mm. what are you going to do with this thing becomes the question. And so we have kind of split our attention into something very simple, which is image sharing. So it turns out in the United States, <laughs> uh, emergency rooms, uh, we were just talking to the guy who heads up at Texas Children. Half the time the kids show up in the emergency room, they don't really need to be there because the, either the image was never sent or the image, the x-ray was misread. Now you think about that, it's like, what a waste, right? I'll even give you an example of this. There's a kid in Texas at what we would call a tertiary hospital was x-rayed. They ended up saying to him, you know, um, we think this is child abuse. They called in law enforcement. They took the kid to Texas Children's. They re-x-rayed him there. They got, this is not child abuse. Now, <laughs> you think about all the cost of all that, the social implication. I mean, this is like ridiculous, right? There's a kid, this is really a sad story. There's a kid football player who had a shoulder injury. This is like last year. Uh, at, and so he went into clinic for, for, for shoulder surgery. There were complications. They took him to a local hospital. They CT scanned him. Hours later, his condition was, was progressively getting worse. They airlifted him into a children's hospital in LA uh, where he died. The CT scan never arrived. Now, would it have made a difference? I mean, no, obviously none of us really know the answer to that question, but I mean, we're doing Instagram today. <laughs> yeah. Why can't we people share images everywhere? Yeah. Right. I mean, it was life saving images, right? Yeah. And we believe the combination of infrastructure. We're working with a great ISV called Teleray that we can produce something which is so simple that whether it's a clinic in the middle of a, a Indian reservation in Arizona or, you know, uh, in a disaster environment, whether that's in Florida or throughout the southeast, we can do this simply and easily. So that's one big focus we've had is going down that path. And then the other I already mentioned is we're, we are breaking ground on how federated learning is applied to medicine by building a federated learning lab. So at one end, it's very researchy, geeky. And on the other end, it's like super simple. We just need to implement, right, what we know we can do, which is a nationwide network. And that actually feeds to a lot of stuff we have in the pipe right now which is the United States government is actually, you know, COVID has some good side effects, is actually uh, being, been spending time and money to create a new ARPA. As many of us know, ARPA is the originator of the internet, right? So this new ARPA is an ARPA-H for health. They've been allocated several billion dollars. And, you know, you probably wouldn't surprise you to think that we might have a conversation with them in the very near future about how we could fundamentally do the same thing, meaning ARPA really started changing how we as consumers, you know, shop, buy, all that sort of stuff. We have the potential to change healthcare for kids in the United States, frankly, across the world. And they can 
they can do that by putting the type of resource, because we're building infrastructure, which no one hospital wants, just to make a point of it. No one hospital, one hospital goes, I got the best cardiologist, <laughs> right? Right. right? I know how to do this. I can look at my x-ray machine. What the hell are you talking to me about, right? right. So any one group, Procter & Gamble would never have said, oh, please build me a website. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't, you have to have somebody come in and go, let's build the infrastructure out. Let's build the interstate highway system, right? Mm -hmm. And ARPA did that for what we now know has transformed everything. So I am inviting them to do it a second time, but let's do this not for, you know, changing how consumer lives work, but how our kids' health works. So would, 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 to keep the, the Apple analogy going a little bit, the, 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 the learning labs uh, that you are putting together, is that the equivalent of Apple writing some of its own applications that you then hope others will then build on for the, the app store, so to speak? Very astute, Ed. I, uh, I, I would have said okay, that. Okay, good. I Glad I got it. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we want to show the way. And mm -hmm. so actually, we're, uh, what we're going to demonstrate is a capability in pediatric cardiology around a very specific thing, which is how do you measure something called ejection fraction? But in essence, what you said, right? Could we build Google Map or Maps or several applications, which either will start up on the research side, or as I said, we're working with a number of ISVs that we can have them do this. So we begin to show people right? How do you do this? What do you do? Right? Because mm -hmm. once we do this, I think the creativity of many people can be brought to bear, you know, whether that's in orthopedics or neurology, or, I mean, there's hundreds of applications here, thousands of applications. Well, I, I love it. And I forget whether this conversation was during the, the, the break or not, but, you know, you said that we're, 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 you're starting here with children because, and I think once you prove it here, this could then scale to the larger medical profession in total as well. I mean, there's, there's no, but I love the fact that you're starting with these kids because that's that's really the place where, as you said, the seed corner of our future. So, yeah. Well, we, we like to say it, in our world, we actually don't, the ultrasound doesn't know whether it's in a children's hospital or an adult hospital. <laughs> That's immaterial. It, it hasn't learned that yet? No. It's not self-aware yet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's that's where everything goes. All right. Well, Tim, this has just been a fascinating conversation. Really love having you on again. And um, let's make sure we'll, we'll, we'll check in again and, and maybe have you, have you come back and talk about where, where things, because it's moving so rapidly, and we just love to continue to hear about this story. So thank, thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, no, guys, appreciate you taking the time. I, and yeah, would love to come back and, and tell you where we are. And it may be dramatically different in a couple of months from where we are right now. So really, stay tuned. Uh, amazing. Wonderful. Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, we're going to do a tribute to the late Dr. Reginald Lee, who unfortunately we lost on March 8th of this year. So I'm looking forward to that. Definitely. His work is uh, on, on the cost side of accounting is fascinating. I'll see you in 167 hours then. The 
has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, do check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full, full show notes on our conversation with Dr. Tim Cho today. And also, you can contact Ed or me at AskTSOE at Verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. Sustainable success is just around the corner.